MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, February 11th, 2022. Today, some of the documents recovered by the National Archives from Mar-a-Lago were clearly marked as classified, some as top secret. Three donors to Susan Collins and one of her PACs have been indicted. The 1-6 committee finds a gap in the White House phone records during the Capitol attack. And Trump apparently flushed documents down the White House toilet. I'm Allison Gill. Hello, everybody. Around 2.30 p.m. Pacific time today, on Thursday, February 10th, we record this show the day before we air it. But about an hour ago, I tweeted, quote, being steeped in the news 24-7, you start to notice trends and patterns. In the past three weeks or so, the majority of the huge news seems to be dropping Monday through Wednesday with relatively quieter Thursdays and Fridays. And yes, I'm trying to jinx it, unquote. Well, friends, I jinxed it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Top story today, just dropping from the Washington Post. Well, first of two stories, actually, because last night, what I was going to report on today, but I had to redo the script last minute. We learned last night some of the documents recovered by the National Archives from Mar-a-Lago might have been classified. But Thursday afternoon, just an hour ago, Washington Post dropped this bomb. Quote, some of the White House documents that Donald Trump improperly took to his Mar-a-Lago residence were clearly marked as classified, including documents at the top secret level. And that's according to two people familiar with the matter. The existence of clearly marked classified documents in the trove, which has not previously been reported, is likely to intensify the legal pressure that Trump or his staffers could face and raises new questions about why the materials were taken out of the White House to begin with. While it's unclear how many classified documents were among those received by the National Archives Records Administration, some bore markings that the information was extremely sensitive and would be limited to a small group of officials with authority to view such highly classified information. The markings were discovered by the National Archives, which last month, as we know, arranged for the collection of 15 boxes of documents from the former president's Mar-a-Lago residence, where he's actually not allowed to live, but whatevs. Archives officials asked the Justice Department to look into the matter, though as of Thursday afternoon, FBI agents had yet to review the materials. That's according to the two people familiar with the request. And it remains unclear whether the Justice Department will launch a full-fledged investigation. The files were being stored in a sensitive compartmented information facility known as a SCIF, while Justice Department officials debated how to proceed after they got picked up from Mar-a-Lago. They were put in a SCIF. And like others in the story, the people spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a politically sensitive matter. A Justice Department spokesman declined to comment. Now, Trump spokesman never declined to comment. And Taylor Budowich said, it's clear that a normal and routine process is being weaponized by anonymous, politically motivated government sources to peddle fake news. The only entity with the ability to credibly dispute this false reporting, the National Archives, is providing no comment. A top-secret classification, by the way, is applied to information where unauthorized disclosure could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to national security. 
That's according to the Archives Information Security Oversight Office. Officials even keep secret some of the mechanics of how the government categorizes and stores its secrets. But in daily practice, often refer to classified systems as the high side and unclassified government systems as the low side. On the high side, there are different types of classified information with top secret that are restricted to smaller groups of officials on a need-to-know-only basis, including a broad category referred to as Special Access Programs, or SAP, SAP. Even with documents marked classified, found where they don't belong, prosecutors still have a high legal bar to get criminal charges. Prosecutors would have to prove someone intentionally mishandled the material or was grossly negligent in doing so. Seems obvious to me, but of course I'm not a lawyer or a prosecutor. And that can be a steep hurdle to prove. And Trump, as president, would have had unfettered latitude to declassify that material, potentially raising even bigger challenges to bringing a case against him. Former federal prosecutor Brandon Van Grack said that some of the laws about classified information require someone to act, quote, without authorization, and potentially the president would be able to argue he gave himself that authorization. But regardless of whether a criminal case would be substantiated, Van Grack said, quote, the FBI would want and need to review the information and conduct an investigation to determine what occurred and whether any sources and methods were compromised. Sources and methods. It's uh, not precisely clear who packed up the classified materials at Mar-a-Lago or how they got there in the first place. Trump was very secretive about the packing of boxes that were retrieved from Mar-a-Lago last month and did not let other aides, including some of his most senior advisors, look at them. That's according to people close to Trump. Officials had to scramble to pack up before Biden took office, and one person familiar with the events surmised that some of the documents from the residents likely made their way into boxes destined for Mar-a-Lago rather than being turned over as they should have been. One advisor said Trump began reviewing materials in December after staff received requests from Gary Stern, a longtime archives lawyer. David Laufman, former Justice Department counterintelligence official, who was involved actually in the prosecution and investigations over the mishandling of classified information in the Hillary case, said Trump, being a former president, presents additional litigation risk factors insofar as he, as president, would have had the authority to declassify documents or potentially even determine where classified documents could be transferred. He did this a lot. Remember when he declassified that photo and put it on Instagram? Now, he added, there's no question that it was improper for classified information to be taken to or to reside at Mar-a-Lago. Now, Lothman, like I said, he was involved in the Clinton case of the email stuff, said a Justice Department investigation would focus not just on Trump, but also on those who packed up the classified materials and moved them to Mar-a-Lago and whether they knew what they were doing. He said the next step would be for the FBI to go to the secure facility where the documents were being stored, review the markings for themselves, and then, quote, to broaden its investigation to learn how these documents came to be taken from the White House to Mar-a-Lago and whether anybody associated with that bears potential criminal liability. It's a big investigation. If a record had been labeled top secret, federal rules spell out a procedure for handling it and for any effort to declassify them. Often the information does not originate from the White House, but from another agency. Now, in the past, when there's been a discussion of declassifying a military or intelligence record, the originating agency has consulted about whether the document should be declassified. The rules also require that declassified documents be marked visibly as declassified. Some analysts said Trump could now find himself in the crosshairs of a similar probe, but others urge caution. Van Grack says there are just a ton of unknowns here. So part of this, people just need to not jump to conclusions. All right, next up, 
The House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has discovered gaps in official White House telephone logs from the day of the riot, finding few records of calls by the then President Trump from critical hours when investigators know he was making calls. So people who have testified to the committee show that they made calls or that they had calls and they are missing from the White House telephone logs. Investigators have not uncovered evidence that any official records were tampered with or deleted. It's well known Trump used his personal cell phone and there was a story that he was using burner phones or not him, but people around him. And uh, they routinely talk with aides, congressional allies and outside confidants using cell phones. But the sparse call records are the latest major obstacle to the panel's central mission, recreating what Trump was doing behind closed doors during crucial moments of the assault on Congress. Now, the panel is still awaiting additional material from the National Archives, which keeps the official White House logs, and from telecommunications companies that have been subpoenaed for the personal cell phone records of Trump and his inner circle, like his son Eric and Kimberly Guilfoyle, who's the fiancé of Don Jr. Now, not Trump himself. His phone records, I don't think, have been subpoenaed. The call logs obtained by the committee document who was calling the White House switchboard and any calls that were being made from the White House to others. Trump had a habit throughout his presidency of circumventing the switchboard, making it far more difficult to discern with whom he was communicating. Two people familiar with the phone records discussed the details about them on the condition of anonymity. A spokesman for the committee declined to comment. Since the attack on the Capitol, former Trump administration officials have said that investigators would struggle to piece together a complete record of Trump's conversations that day because of his habit of using his and other people's cell phones. At least one person who tried to reach Trump on his cell phone had their call picked up by one of his aides. It's unclear where Trump was at that time. Few details of what Trump did inside the White House as rioters stormed the Capitol are known. He was watching television, we know, as it played out on cable news. Several aides, including his daughter, Ivanka, implored him to say something. And Meadows, too. And Williams and everybody. Nevertheless, his first public communication as the melee unfolded was the Twitter post attacking Pence. Trump is also known to have tried to reach out to one senator as the certification of the Electoral College vote was delayed. And he fielded a call from Kevin McCarthy. We know that because that's when he's like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? The revelations about incomplete call logs as Trump is under increasing scrutiny for apparently violating the Presidential Records Act by ripping up some of the White House documents and taking others with him when he left office. The House Oversight Committee on Thursday announced an investigation into what it called potential serious violations of the law, including that Trump took 15 boxes of White House documents to his Palm Beach, Florida compound and attempted to destroy personal records. So now we have another House Oversight Committee investigation. The National Archives and Records Administration discovered what it believed was classified information in the documents. And as we heard from the story at the top of the hour, they were marked classified, some of them top secret. And the Post reported Wednesday that the National Archives had asked the Justice Department to examine Trump's handling of the White House records. And according to sources familiar, as we said in the top story, the FBI has yet to look at them. And White House staffers regularly found ripped up printed paper clogging a toilet in the presidential residence when former Trump lived there. That's according to an upcoming book by Maggie Haberman. Axios reports Haberman's book notes the White House staffers regularly found printed paper clogging a toilet in the residence, leading them to conclude Trump had flushed pieces of paper down the toilet. Appearing on CNN's New Day on Thursday, Haberman said that she learned the staff in the White House residence would periodically find the toilet clogged. Perhaps he should have installed one of Matthew fucking Whitaker's big dick toilets when had that problem. Quote, the engineer would have to come and fix it. And what the engineer would find would be wads of clumped up printed wet paper, Maggie said. 
And according to Haberman, the documents could have been anything from post-its to notes that he wrote himself. Who knows? And although she couldn't give an exact number of how many times papers were found in the toilet, Haberman said that she was told that it happened periodically. Trump, in a statement on Thursday, called the claim categorically untrue and simply made up by a reporter in order to get publicity for a mostly fictitious book. He also said the return of White House documents to the archives, the 15 boxes, was viewed as routine and no big deal. Maybe a bigger story here is why Haberman sat on this felony to sell books. And why didn't she report this when she learned about it? Why didn't she call the FBI? All the more reason not to buy her book or any book where people withhold critical facts to boost sales. And finally, a big story not getting much coverage today, but one we've been following for almost a year now. And this comes from the Department of Justice website. Three Hawaii-based executives of a government contractor were indicted today in the District of Columbia for allegedly making unlawful campaign contributions to a candidate for Congress and a political action committee. According to the indictment, Martin Cow, Clifford Chen, and Lawrence Kahele Loom Key, all of Honolulu, were employed by a defense contractor prohibited from making contributions in federal elections. Duh. The defendants allegedly created a shell company and then used the shell company to make an illegal contribution to a political action committee supporting the election of a candidate for the U.S. Senate. By the way, that candidate is Susan Collins. And they were using government contractor funds. And this was right after they got an $8 million contract awarded to them by Susan Collins. The defendants also allegedly used family members as conduits to make illegal contributions to the campaign committee of the same candidate, Susan Collins, and then reimbursed themselves for those donations using funds obtained from the employer, the government contractor. All three defendants are charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States and making conduct contributions and making government contractor contributions. Cow was also charged with two counts of lying, causing the submission of false information to the Federal Election Committee. Cow Chen and Lum Ki will make their initial appearance at a later date. If convicted, they face up to five years in prison and a $250,000 fine on each count, on each count. A federal district court judge will determine any sentence after considering the U.S. sentencing guidelines and other statutory factors. So, straw donations to Susan Collins from a contractor that built a shell company to make the donations using contractor money after being awarded an $8 million government contract in Maine by Susan Collins. That's a big deal. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with Amy Carrero and the good news, because we need some. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans, and today's show is brought to you by Allform, my all-time favorite place to get beautiful, customized furniture for your home that's built to your specifications. Allform's furniture is shipped free to your door. It's custom-tailored to meet what you want, and Allform lets you design your own luxury furniture using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores and a fraction of the time. The sofa I selected has whiskey-colored leather, and I could never have leather before because of the pod pets, but this is spill, stain, and scratch-resistant, and it comes with an amazing warranty. Uh, So whiskey-colored leather, walnut legs, walnut finish, and a chaise lounge. Uh, I love it. It's comfortable. It's stylish. It's beautiful. And and all form ships fast. It arrived in the mail in five to seven days. It's easy to assemble without tools. And you can choose from armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight-seat sectionals. And you can always start small and add on later if you want, if your house gets bigger or your family gets bigger. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No weird restocking fees. It's no risk here. And like I said, they have a forever warranty. 
So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. Right now, Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, what the mutt, whoopee stories, send us your crafts and art and what you create. You can do all of that. We take everything. Uh, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And it's Friday, which means Amy Carrero is here. Hey, Amy. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm pretty good. Things? You know, just here. I was just moaning on about my new acne that I've developed in the last few months from stress. I don't know. Uh, we never get that zit clemency. We're supposed to get it. And, what the uh, fuck? Yeah, we were sold a bill yeah. of goods as kids. But here I am. We were. It was a bait and switch. Yep. And yeah. Sucks butts. But the good news is, is that we have some good news. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this. Me too. So I'm going to kick us off, Amy, with a, a submission from Eric, pronouns he and him. A quick follow up on the bird bath from yesterday. Ooh. I did not use a pattern. I did indeed wing it. Ha ha ha. Ooh, ha ha. In the surviving mosaics from the Roman era, most of the individual animals are a small part of a larger scene. My reference art was a section of a larger piece from a museum collection in oh, Tunisia. Oh, wow. It was only inspiration, however, I was working with materials that I had available, which made some design decisions for me. Sure. <laughs> yes, right. Much of my materials were found at the local Habitat for Humanity, Restore. Ooh. And I did the work at the local makerspace where I am a member. Now there is a shout out to Blooming Labs in Bloomington, Indiana. So rad. Awesome. Some final details on the finished piece. Weighs 28 pounds, 13 kilograms. Diameter, two feet, Whoa. 60 centimeters. Depth in the center, three inches. A quick note to Amy. It was an odd feeling to have the boys watching Elena of Avalar and me thinking, how do I know that voice? <laughs> <laughs> it took quite a while before it finally dawned on me that it was you. Hey. Thanks for your work in both worlds. Oh, thank you so much. See, if you listen to Elena of Avalor, that's what I sound like when I'm in a good mood all the time, 100% of the time. <laughs> Just princessy and such a good mood. But you know, that was before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Okay, next up, we have something, a, a submission from Anonymous, pronounce she or her. Beans Queens, I started listening to your show about six months ago, and y'all are amazing. I usually start my morning off with your podcast. It keeps me informed and is also heartwarming and funny. And thanks for kicking Spotify to the curb. You rock. That's so true. Ha. I was so excited to see Amy Carrera. Oh, boy, it's part of the show. You're my hero. I loved watching you on Critical Role and in Made. You are so incredibly talented. Thank you. This feels so weird to say this out loud. <laughs> I hope you make it back to Critical Role at some point. Opal was my favorite character. <clears throat> I cannot say, but I will not confirm nor deny. Speaking oh, of, oh, oh. yes. I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop RPGs have been a bright spot in this hellscape of a pandemic for my family and I. Yeah. And I'm so glad to see it becoming more popular. My husband and I started playing Pathfinder with our daughters, now seven and 11, a year and a half ago. It is so fun to see what our kids' little creative minds come up with. We have befriended a goblin tribe and helped them start a sustainable farm. Amazing. <laughs> Captured some werewolves and turned them back into humans. Woo! 
fought a dragon, solved some cool puzzles slash riddles, and we just finished a story arc about a plague. Oh, too close. Oh. Too close for comfort. <laughs> the husband and I have also been playing D&D remotely with friends, which is also so fun and a wonderful way to connect with friends who are all over the country. We started collecting all kinds of minis, dice, etc. Suffice it to say, we've leaned way in and feels great to just enjoy something that makes us happy. I want to ask you to help promote D&D and other TTRPGs as a game that is super fun for women and girls. So true. Not only uh, not a boys only sort of game, which I think has sadly had that reputation for years. It's very true. Here's some pictures. Our first game sesh, a pic of me and my girls because mom needs to get in the pic more. Am I right? After canceling our Disney trip, originally scheduled for spring break 2020, we finally made it after the girls were vaccinated and our pandemic puppy, Charlie, who is a year old now and the most ridiculous floof ever. Look at these. First of all, I want these stripy jammies. Do they make them in my size? So cute. And look at Disney. Oh, my gosh. What a cute little fam. Look at these dresses, these princess dresses with the sequins. Oh, I love Oh, and the dog. Look at this doggo. Oh, can't get this enough. This dog, this dog, anonymous. It looks just like a goofball, yes. like a ham. You know what I mean? Yes. And just like, like just a thinks, goofy he, dog. thinks he's seven pounds, I bet. Right. Yeah. Like they just climb up on your yeah. face. Oh, and I just love like, it. here I am I with their big feet. And they're all, whoa, 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 whoa. Huh? So huh? cute. I love it. And that's Thank so you. true. It's, you know, tabletop role-playing games are famously, will have have the reputation of being, you know, male-only, lots of gatekeeping going on. But I think that's starting to change. The tide is starting to turn. And the best way to do it is to get young girls involved so they could see how cool it is. And I don't know. It's just a really fun game. I feel like you'd be really great at it, AG, actually. Oh, I've been playing d Oh, you since, have? Since high school. Why yeah. haven't we talked about this? I don't know. I was on a podcast for a long time. Uh, we played a new game, which is a, a, a role-playing game called Kids on Bikes, which is based on Stranger Things, oh my which is God. so fun. If anybody... Yeah, it was the, the show's called Awful Neutral. I'm not on it anymore. I just ran out of time and like extra time. But it's so much fun. And that's so I rad. absolutely love it. Well, fuck. We got to play a game, baby. Yeah, yeah, we totally do. We should. I want to get on Critical Role. Oh, my God. You'd be so good on Critical Role. (laughs) They'd have to make you a permanent member. (laughs) Because I have so much free time. I know. But it's so fun. It's just so much fun. It really is. Yeah. It really brings people together. And it like makes you like your imagination has to go like crazy. Yes. Next up from Data Diva, pronoun she and her. Oh, I love Data Diva. Today, Friday, is my 40th birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. I can't quite believe it. Sometimes I feel like I'm still a college student, but then my knee and ankle try to convince me I'm 80. (laughs) I feel you. I feel like I'm 19, and then I walk past a mirror, and I'm like, what happened? (laughs) Two stories of whoobies and motherly love. As a kid, I went through a weird phase of claiming animals made each other's sounds, like saying cows went ribbit and whales went honk. I also wanted a cat, so I would crawl on the floor and rub against my parents' ankles saying, oink. <laughs> so my parents found me a toy cat and a toy pig that had sound boxes, and mom carefully took them out and switched <gasps> them. Whoa. So I have a pig that meows and a cat that oinks. More than 25 years later, the cat can still eke out a sound. Holy shit. My mom had a toy lion. She was born in 1952. So at 70, I think this is the record. Oh. Wow. That's Like amazing. many children, she dropped it in the toilet. 
<laughs> unlike most children, she lived in rural Alaska, so the toilet was an outhouse. Oh, oh. my God. Digging it out was a true act of parental love. Sadly, the lion is in a box in the black hole closet, so I can't get to it without hours of some spelunking equipment. <laughs> I made 3D printed items, including queer dinosaurs and queer clocks. At a craft fair, I went to as a team with my dad and asked if he could have a pansexual clock. His dad agreed very quickly, insisting he would buy it. The dad came back to my booth and said that that was his son coming out to him. Oh, bye. I got to go cry now. Pick of some of the many things. The queer dinosaurs have been a huge success. Tyrannosaurus by Ceratops. Oh, that's funny. Transosaurus by Ceratops and Stegosaurus. Velociace Raptor and non binosaurus. <laughs> I'm also including hilarious. pictures of my cat Ellie with a Velociace uh, Raptor uh, on her head. You can get to my Etsy through my webpage, datadiva.net. Oh, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, look how cool that stuff is. Yeah, she brings me all sorts of gifts whenever oh we do meetups and stuff. How it's incredible. Nice is that? Oh, I love it. I have one of those Biden Harris fly swatters. Too. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Are they? Do, can you use it? Is it or is it in the shape of a fly swatter? No, you can use it. Oh wow, double duty. I love it. Next up, we have Laura. Pronounce she her. Hello, Laura here. This isn't a correction, but a shout out to my late mom. You mentioned, I paraphrase, that childcare wasn't a thing back then, but my mom Doris, because of course, <laughs> that's funny started a babysitting service in the late 60s because she had nine kids of her own. Wow. Wanted her own money, wanted to give grandmother something to do and a way to make money and give moms a way to go back to work. So she hired grandmas because she felt they had experience and wouldn't be pushovers. So true. She licensed, bonded, and had background checks done on the prospective grandmas. She did everything in secret because my dad wouldn't want her to work. When he left for work, she pulled out her phone and a Rolodex she kept in an old metal desk. She was a broker. Uh, she didn't do the babysitting herself. Oh my gosh, that's genius. Mm. She took 10%. Clients filled out a form where they could request things like sock darning, laundry, and making dinner. She didn't want clients to assume a sitter would do these things unpaid. So true. She had such a following, she had to come clean to my dad because he was an accountant and she was afraid of not reporting the income to the IRS. Oh my gosh. She had the business for nearly 20 years and ruled the Chicago suburbs with the suburban sitter service. Oh, my gosh. I love it. My mom died in 1987, but remains an inspiration to me for her problem-solving crafty badassery. She was a Democrat, a poll worker, president of the Ladies of the Elks, LOL, a WAC, and volunteered for the American Cancer Society. Rather than a pop shot... I've attached a photo of my mom in her WAC uniform. She'd be 99 this year. And while she hated swearing, she'd love your show. <laughs> Thanks always for everything you do. Oh my gosh, Doris. Amazing. What an Amazing. Angel. She's got a little angel face. I know. Oh. Oh. Wow. This is lovely in the whack uniform and everything. Thank you so much for the submission, Laura. This is beautiful. Wow. That's amazing. I what a what a badass. I love that she started this babysitting service. Nine kids. I feel like this is a oh. Netflix series waiting to happen. I know, right? I, I would watch yeah, this. Yeah, or like HBO Max. Like, you know, it's like the Gilded Age, but like during like, you know, the 50s. Yeah, we could call it Wax. W-A-C-S. Yeah, Wax. Don't be Wax. Oh. <laughs> That's so Wax. I love it. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. 
Thank you so much for sharing this. I got to call my mom now. <laughs> I know. How rad is oh. that? Yeah, my mom just turned 75. Happy birthday, mom, wow. by the way, if you're listening. All these Aquarians. Yeah, yeah. I think she, yeah, I was like three minutes into Aquarius. I think she held me in because so she didn't want a Capricorn. Uh, I hear ya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what a great bunch of submissions. Um, thank you all so much for sending these in. These are wonderful. If you want to send anything in, you know where to go, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. We would love to hear from you. I will be here on Sunday with Muller, She Wrote, and the MSW Book Club, uh, episode six of both of those, um, season five. And we're doing Corruptible by Brian Kloss, Ooh. incredible book. If you haven't started reading it, it's incredible. It's funny. It's in- informative. There's a lot of research, and but it's so well presented and so well thought out. You You will enjoy it thoroughly if you aren't already. And then, of course, I'll be back Monday with Dana. And so, you know, for the beans. So check that out and subscribe. It's free to subscribe. It really helps us on the charts so we can like knock the fascists off the charts. Please do that if you get a chance. And uh, we appreciate you. Amy, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I had. Remember yesterday I was like, it wasn't exactly good news, but it was more of like a rant. Can someone explain to me what it is with a certain like generation? Maybe it's like Gen Z. I think it's like the youngest crop of kids who like will do an unsolicited FaceTime. So it's either like people that are my mom's age or like 19 year olds that will just like FaceTime you without it even like like a text message warning. Am I the only one because of ADHD where I'm just like, oh, I got to mentally prepare for this exchange. Or like, I don't know. Does that freak you out when people just like FaceTime you? It's like someone knocking on your door without texting you first, telling them you're coming over. Yeah. No one's ever done that uh, to me unless it's by accident. Oh, right. Okay. It's horrifying. Like it's a, a butt face dial. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, that sounds terrible. But it's like phone calls too. I'm like, what? Who? Who, who what? is what? this? No. Yeah, exactly. You have to warn people. But maybe that's just how antisocial we've all become. Where I just get like so much anxiety just from like the unsolicited phone call or FaceTime. But anyway, I don't know. Let me know yeah. what that's I mean, about. Talk to my mom on the phone. But that's, you know, I talk to my mom on the phone, but that's about it. Everyone else just texts me. In fact, I was thinking of now that I don't work for the government anymore, I should change my voicemail because I always wanted to say, hey, you should text me. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Unless hey, you're my text mom. text me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. You leave me a message. <laughs> well, I love uh, yeah, that. I, seriously. No, don't phone call me. Phone calls are weird. Yeah. Um, and then they leave a then they leave a voicemail that says, hey, I, call me back. Like, I didn't know that you called because I can't see that. <laughs> or the worst is like, hey, it's Amy. As if you can't see the phone number, people, the person yeah. calling. Hey, gee, it's Amy. I just want to say hi. Call me back. <laughs> Yeah, no rush. You know, you can just <laughs> no <text> rush. <laughs> Anyways, Love it. I hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Check checking out new role playing games, tabletop role playing games, and whatnot. Uh, and don't forget to send us all of your photos and whoopee stories and everything. And until uh, Monday or uh, Sunday, I guess. Well, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been Allison Gill, and I've been Amy Carrero, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>